So we are kind of working our way through 1 Corinthians. We're kind of at the kind of back half of the book. We're in chapter 14. We're going to pretty much cover the whole chapter this morning. And it is kind of winding down the book, but for sure you need to understand kind of the context we're in. He is winding down the section on spiritual gifts. I mean, he has spent multiple chapters diving into spiritual gifts, and we're kind of closing that time. And this whole chapter, he's going to dive into tongues and prophecy. Ooh, right? I mean, that is exciting stuff. But the sad part is, especially when you get into maybe what is known as the charismatic gifts, man, this can be very divisive. If you're asking me, man, what are the top five things? This is on it of top five things that divides the church, right? I mean, you think of, you heard that term, what side of the aisle are you on of charismatic gifts? I mean, it is a staunch divide, sadly. I mean, like deep, you think of our political, right? It's like Democrat, Republican, you Apple, you Android, pick one, right? You Canes or Chick-fil-A, none the twain shall meet. Like, it is deep divisions, right? And then you talk about charismatic gifts. What side of the aisle are you on? And we divide over this. The more I studied this, the more it broke my heart because I think it breaks the heart of God when you think of what is the very purpose and point of the spiritual gifts? And we're going to dive into that. And as you see, it just becomes sad for what it does compared to what it is meant to do. So we're going to look at that. What are the purpose of spiritual gifts? So the way we're going to kind of break it down, what is kind of the priority? What is the problem? What is the plan? So even as we, this is about gathering and worship, what is the priority? And I want to ask you, man, do you have your priorities right for church this morning? You're thinking like, man, I came to church, so I thought they were good, but now you're going to try to convince me they're wrong. I might, but we got to ask the question, bless you, are my priorities <laughs> right? It was just a quiet moment. I couldn't resist, right? What are the priorities? What is the problem? What is the plan? And we, like I said, we're going to cover about the whole chapter. So we're going to break up the passage because most people's attention span is about that of a short TikTok video. So instead of reading it all together, we're going to break it down. And I'm going to look at the first five verses of 1 Corinthians 14 to look at what our priorities should be. So follow along in your Bible or follow along as I read. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. 
So as much as this can be confusing, the more I studied it, it became crystal clear. Kind of what is the crux of this, what our priorities should be. If you're wondering, man, what a passage is about, this is something you should always do. Look for repetition. When a word or a phrase is repeated, you're starting to understand some of the priority of the passage. Four times in these five verses, it's the last two words on this screen, he talks about this idea of being built up. Many of your translations maybe even uses the word to edify, edification. That's what that word means. So what is the priority of coming together? What is the point and purpose of spiritual gifts? It is for the building up of the body. He talked about the encouragement, the consolation. So what, you're going to, as we continue to read, it's going to shine through. What is the purpose of your gifts of us gathering together? It is for the edification of the body, the building up of believers. And now can you see how heartbreaking it would have been to Paul, let alone to God? The very point and purpose of spiritual gifts is so we can build each other up and it's the very thing we use to divide and break us down. How sad, how heartbreaking because the purpose is clear. And so we look at this and we dive in and we talk about tongues and prophecy. And I know if I would have heard a sermon on this probably even 10 years ago, I'm like, oh, I would have dove in. What does that mean? Or what does it mean this? Does it mean that? What side of the aisle are you on? I would hope this morning to disappoint myself 10 years ago because that's not where I want to go. I love this quote from a commentator. I think he really puts it in perspective. This is Gordon Fee. The real issue is not with tongues and prophecy as such, but with the building up of the community. And this could be affected only by means of understandable utterances, prophecy being the primary representative. The concern is edification. The issue is intelligibility. The edifying of oneself is not a bad thing. It is simply is not the point of the community's gathering and worship. The concern is unmistakable edification. And this is coming from, this, this commentator has a Pentecostal background. And so when we get into tongues, Pastor Rick kind of laid out kind of the good reasons to see tongues as other known human languages. I know people see that different, that that is an angelic language, and we want to get into what is it, what does it mean? My hope is to disappoint everybody equally this morning. I'm going to be an equal opportunity offender. Because as you look at the passage, it's not so much about tongues and prophecy. Those become kind of representative gifts to get at Paul's point. And the point is, let's build each other up. Let's edify each other. And what becomes crystal clear is, how can we build each other up if it is not intelligible? It must be understandable what's happening for us to be edified. You can't miss that. Continue to look for that as we read the passage more. Our priority is, okay, are we building each other up? That must be understandable. I was raised kind of in a high church model, and it was hard to follow what was going on. There's a lot of sitting, kneeling, standing. There was a lot of stuff that was said that I had no idea, and that would be said in chance. Like they wouldn't just say it. It would just be, all righty then. Like, I don't know what's happening. So I didn't understand what was going on, so I couldn't be built up. 
right? Do you, do you understand the point he's making? So I'm going to ask you, back to that first question. What was your priority this morning? When you came to church, did you come to get something or to give something? Were you looking, man, I want to edify some, somebody, or are you looking to get edified? Now, being edified, right? It's not a bad thing. Edifying oneself is not a bad thing. If you're down and you feel like, man, I need God and you want to get built up, great. I hope everybody here is edified. Now, I kind of knocked my upbringing. I need to knock ourselves, right? The problem with the big church is we can make it seem like, okay, the people up here, they build into the people down there. And we put you in a position where it's just, okay, was your posture that, man, I want to bless somebody, I want to edify somebody? Did you come in? Oh, I'm empty. Fill me up. They better play that last song, the song I like, because I'm trying to get edified this morning. I want you to be edified, but what did he say our priority should be? What was the, he end with build up, what did he start with? Pursue love. What if our priority this morning is, man, that's why we push community groups. That's why we push service, because I'm doing people a disservice to just put people in a posture of just receiving. Our priority as a church, man, how, who can I build up this morning? And in that, I pray that you are edified and build up as well. That clearly must be the priority. But on to the next point, there's got to be a problem, right? Because we wouldn't have this letter if there wasn't a problem. If that is the goal, love and edifying and building each other up, well, then why is there this letter? So we're going to dive in kind of the biggest section. We're going to pick it up in verse 6, and it's kind of a longer section. So let's kind of look at, if the point is edification, what is the problem? Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves. If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language... I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit, strive to excel in the building up of the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. 
Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is not a sign for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore... The whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter. Will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and the unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all and the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. And I hope you saw that point coming across crystal, crystal clear. He's hammering that. Our goal and priority must be to build each other up. To build each other up, we ha- it has to be intelligible. We have to understand what kind of God is saying. And so that is his point. And he goes on to three separate illustrations, right? He talks about, you know, instruments. Instruments have to have distinct sounds, languages. You need to know the meaning. Even you talk about the bugle, if you think of like Braveheart, right? When they were like, archers, and they'd play like, like they would communicate through a bugle, which I think is objectively cooler than what we do. Like emojis are fun, but I hope like the new iPhone 14, you know what side of the aisle I am on the iPhone debate. Like that'd be so cool if you can instead of have emojis, you can send like little bugle sounds like dun, 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 dun. That'd be cool. Not the point of this sermon. Right? He's hammering it. Look, if you can't understand, you can't edify. So we need to figure out ways that we can understand the word of God so we can be encouraged and edified by it. So what is the problem? So we're going to walk through that passage. He points out numerous problems that can stop and impede us from edifying each other. Here's the big one. They valued spiritual manifestations over striving to edify. Like that was the passage. You're so eager for spiritual manifestations, you should instead strive to edify. Their priorities were out of whack. I wanted to experience something of God more than I cared about building up and edifying my brother. And for them, tongues was this cool spiritual manifestation, and they wanted this cool experience more than edifying their brother. And that's how they got there, and that's how they got to. I mean, this is a rebuke passage. Now, again, it's easy to see, okay, for Corinth, man, that's messed up. But then we got to ask ourselves, is that true of us? Am I eager more for a spiritual manifestation, for a spiritual experience, more from the clear truth of God's word. And again, I like the word priority. He's not saying none of that doesn't matter. But we have to give deference to the clear word and message from God. But yet, how much of us, right? Think about it in your personal life. You want to make a decision. How many? I won't make you raise your hand. You prayed for a sign, right? We wanted this cool supernatural spiritual experience more than just going with the clear teaching of scripture. I had a buddy, he was debating on getting married, you know, and he was just wanted God to show him something. And he was leaving, I think they were about to get engaged, he was leaving her house, and it was like supernatural. 
There were like 20 traffic lights, all green. It's like, boom, 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 boom. And he's like, all right, God's telling me something. And then he gets there and he goes, all right, that was clearly God. Is that the green light to marry her? Or were you clearing a path to get away from her? Ha! Right? Like, should I marry her? And a bird flies by. And I'm like, some birds are robins. My girlfriend's sister's name is Robin. God, I should marry her. Now, look, we're laughing and I'm being silly. God can work through circumstances. I'm not saying, man, the spiritual experiences that you should just get rid of them. But our priorities must be this. How many times I heard people, God, is, he spoke to me and he's telling me I should be with this person against the clear teaching of Scripture. We must give deference to the clear teaching of Scripture. We must strive to edify, and to edify, we must give deference to clear, understandable messages above spiritual manifestations. And if you are here just speaking, seeking inspiration, that's great. If you want to have emotion, I hope you have them. But... Don't seek that above the clear teaching of God. And again, I want to be an equal opportunity offender because it is easy to point out, oh, you just want to have a spiritual high. You want inspiration. How many people are just seeking information this morning? Right? The goal is to build up. But what does knowledge do? Puff up. Right? We want to build up, not puff up this morning. And so if you're here, just you want to know truth and you want more information, the goal has to be beyond that. It's not just to have an inspirational feeling. It's not just for greater information. It's that we can worship and experience God. Let's keep going. So part of the problem as well is they were seeking status over service. See, having this gift was highly valued in Corinth. And if you can speak in a tongue, then you were seen as kind of more spiritual. The problem is the goal and priority should be serving. Now, maybe you believe kind of speaking in tongues is an angelic language. Maybe that's kind of where you come from, or maybe you don't. And you just, yeah, we maybe don't have sign gifts, but we have stage gifts, right? Man, aren't these the real spiritual people that are on stage? And their status, if you can serve up here, their status, if I can be a deacon, is that your heart? Like, man, I'd love to be a deacon. Everybody know I'm a deacon because my blue polo says deacon. Boom. Right? That's the problem they got into here. The goal shouldn't be for people to recognize me. In this church is more probably for me than it is for you. Do you know how many times I'll see a passage and I'll say, I want to preach that passage? What a horrible question. What a self-centered question. That is an egocentric about me moment. The right question is, what is going to most build people up? Let's have that person speak. When you come in, do you want to serve in ways to get noticed? Or what if all our postures is love and whatever needs done My goal is to serve. But they wanted to serve in ways. And thank goodness we don't struggle with this anymore, huh? They wanted to to serve in ways that got them noticed and got them status, as opposed to just saying, whatever needs done, my goal and priority is the building up of the church. What else was the problem? They got self-centered over seeker-sensitive. Now that term... 
church circles is very loaded. So before you kind of wig out, give me a chance, because I think secret sensitive is a good term, but I want to reclaim it for its actual meaning. So again, what was happening here in Corinth? It was self-centered. They wanted to worship, and they wanted to experience God how they wanted to. And we can really spiritualize this. I've said this in my life. I'm sure many of you had. It's just about me and God. I don't care what people think. Now, of course, that can get abused, right? You shouldn't worship to care what people think. We shouldn't be so self-centered in our worship that I'm apathetic to how this affects everybody else. Don't live for the applause of man. Of course, there's a danger. But do we worship in such a way that I'm totally self-centered? I don't care how this impacts other people. This is me and my God and how I want to worship. I think that's too much. Did you catch it in the passage? Paul encourages them to, I want you to be sensitive and consider how a non-Christian, how a non-believer is going to experience your worship. I mean, that was a big part of this section. I want you to think about it. What if a non-believer comes? He wants him to be sensitive to the seeker. And again, it gets confusing, but when you study, I think it was very clear. Did you catch that part of a non-believer? He says, tongues will be a sign for unbelievers. Isn't that confusing? Wouldn't you think, wait, no, shouldn't it be a sign for believers where it becomes just very clear is you have to ask, what kind of sign? And he quoted an Old Testament passage. He said, it's a sign like this. The passage he quoted is when God's people were about to be overrun by the Assyrians. And so when God's people heard a foreign tongue at their doorstep, you know what that meant? You're going to die. Condemnation and judgment is coming. So when it says it's a sign, you have to ask, what kind of sign? Clearly, it was a sign of condemnation and judgment. So that was his point. He said, think about it. If a non-believer comes and they hear a bunch of things, and regardless of how you define tongues, and it says, I mean, this is a quote from Scripture, man, they're out of their minds. They're going to walk away and not experience grace. He says, I want you to be sensitive to that. This is great church philosophy kind of 101, like ministry philosophy. I want you to be sensitive now. That doesn't mean you cater the message to unbelievers. That doesn't mean you change the truth. See, the church gathered is believers. It is for the saints. It's giving God's word to God's people. Make no mistake. Because part of the problem is it goes from seeker sensitive, hey, we're here to worship as Christians. Let's be considerate to how a non-believer is going to see this but you don't swing the pendulum so far to seeker-driven. And I think that's where God's people get off track. No longer is church about worship anymore. It's no longer for God's people. It's for people that don't know him. And now you can get into, oh, you're changing the message. You're kind of backing off of truth because you don't want to offend Listen, if you're offended by the truth of God, I can sleep at night. Not great. I have a touch of apnea, so it won't be like a fantastic sleep, I think. But, but I can handle that. If you're offended by what God says. Now, if you come in and it's so chaotic and it's confusing and you walk away confused, 
I think that's on us. And so let me speak to you. If you don't know Christ and you're on the journey of figuring it out, you are welcome here. Like, we want to do everything we can to make sure you feel welcome. You're our guest. And that's why maybe you don't speak in an angelic language, but how many churches speak in insider language? You know, a non-believer comes up and they're like, hey, how you doing with the blood of the lamb? Like, I'm creeped out. That's how I'm doing. So I never, never want to back off the truth but it does encourage us to think about how an unbeliever will be doing. So be sensitive to that, but not driven by that. Hopefully you kind of see kind of what his correction is in that. So I want to consider that. And lastly, problem of spiritual bullying over spiritual Bereans. We're not going to, we, we're going to get to this section in a minute. So I put it up there, right? Let two or three prophets speak. Let the others weigh what is said. See, what is the point? It's to build each other up. What has been very destructive to the church? When people follow men in their ivory towers with unquestioned authority because they say, God told me this. Fall in line. And that can be very dangerous. So I want to be clear. We're talking about prophecy. And again, people will define this different. But you have to see prophecy from the Old Testament to the New Testament changes. See how it says, weigh it, consider it. In the Old Testament, when a prophet spoke, you did not weigh it or consider it, you obeyed it. In the Old Testament, here's what a prophet said, thus saith the Lord, God said this. And they're like, how do you know? Because he just told me my face is glowing, right? Like Moses was to be unquestioned, because he spoke as the mouthpiece of God. He said this. We're, we're like, we don't believe you. He's like, the ground's going to swallow you up Indiana Jones style. Zip it. Fact check it. That really happened. Like God's people questioned Moses. And he's like, fine, have a plague. Zip it. Like, Here's Ten Commandments. They're like, how about seven? He's like, you're going to die. Zip it. Because you don't question. Now, in the New Testament, what we never question is this. This is the authoritative word of God. Agree, disagree, not. This is it. Now, when somebody speaks from this, it says, hey, weigh what's said. Is that in line with Scripture? Don't blindly follow a person. Follow a leader that's following the word of God. Now, that's scriptural, right? We are to submit to our leaders, but we submit to our leaders that submit to the word of God. And he encourages them, weigh what's said. So we can't just spiritually bully people with God told me. Somebody tells me, man, God told me we're supposed to be together. Well, until God tells me, you should keep your online dating profile open, right? Because <laughs> we don't just get to say, God told me. Okay, is that scriptural? We, we follow God's word, not just men. We follow leaders that follow God's word. And that's where, maybe you've never heard that term, Berean. We don't just bully and say, fall in line. We follow God's word. At the chapel, they had the Berean room. I remember here in the Berean room, I'm like, what a dumb name. And then I read the passage. I'm like, that's a great name. Right? Where are the Browns training camp? Where did they just release? What town? Berea. You know where that name comes from? Acts 17. These are the people of Berea. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica 
They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. These were the Bereans. They didn't blindly follow men. They followed men that followed the word of God. When there's a message, it's said, examine it. Always make sure you're following leaders that follow scripture, not just blindly following leaders. And then when somebody, oh, that's God's man, think of how much destruction has happened in the church from people following a man that can spiritually bully people because they're just the anointed. It can get off track. I hope you can see that. So there's a lot of problems, right? The priority is, I mean, how do we build each other up? And a lot of things could get in the way of that. So what is the plan? Here's where the passage closes. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there only be two or at most three in each in turn. And let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak. Let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. He says, I want us to be built up so that we look more like Christ, so that we can see Christ, so the world around us is able to see Jesus. How do we do that? It's got to be understandable and orderly. That's why I don't feel bad planning a service. You see that, hey, one or two or three, but that's enough. Then you should sit down. Let's make sure this is done orderly because we serve a God of peace, not of confusion. This has nothing to do with preference. This has everything to do with our priority. Like to sing all hail King Jesus. I desperately want all of us to know him and to know him better. To do that, man, we have to understandably lay out who Jesus is and his love for you and seek that. And it's not about us. We need to do that in an orderly way. I don't want to divide as a church. The stakes are too high. King Jesus is too worthy for us to divide as a church. I want to hear from him. I want to see him. I want all those to know him. So let our priority be to that end, to build each other up, and let's do it so people can understand and experience him. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, thank you for this passage. God, it is a correction passage, so I pray all of us regardless of where we come from, would be open to your Spirit's correction. God, for ways in my life that I have pursued status, that I have increased and gotten in the way of people seeing you, God, forgive us for all the ways we've made it about us.
God, would we be a people that pursue love, that pursue edifying and building each other up, that we would be built up to look more like Christ, to see Christ better, and so the world would see it as well. Please, Jesus, help us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.